0: Welcome to another episode of the Scrumcast. I'm Clayton Langle I'm Ruth Anwater.
1: I'm Derek Neighbors.
0: And today we are going to the Twitters. So we looked up some tweets using the Scrum hashtag, and we're going to just go through those and kind of rapid-fire talk about them. And so the first one, um, this one is the, I guess, the San Diego Times, perhaps. The SD Times ranks Kanban Lean Agile Scrum among top trends of 2011 so what do you guys think are these trends fads uh are they just kind of becoming popular um maybe they're making some kind of mainstream media kind of stuff what do you think
1: i believe the SD's software development times
0: oh that makes a lot more sense now
1: but uh yeah I, I, th- I think in some ways they are trends in the sense of um you know it's the stuff that's up and coming will they last um, I think that the agile principles and the values are fairly timeless. I think the process implementations, um, if they're truly agile, people are going to inspect and adapt on them over time, which means that they will be different, and we will probably discover new ones as well.
2: I, I think, too, that um, that lately I've seen a lot of companies that are uh, saying that they want to f- be more agile or want to implement Scrum or Lean or whatever. And I think that a lot of them are just saying that based off of articles they've read or people they've talked to and don't really understand what it's going to take. And that oftentimes it's going to take some some sacrifice from themselves and from the organization in order to reach that end goal. And once they find out that that's part of the process, they're going to be disenchanted with the concept.
1: Kind of like I really want to lose another 50 pounds, but I don't want to stop eating donuts.
2: Sure, that'd be a good way to put
0: it. Yeah, it seems like they're... um You know, I don't know with any software development stuff, there's always going to be kind of trends and waves of popularity, but it seems like some of this stuff has been uh, getting a little more mainstream. But it definitely feels kind of faddy in some uh, degree. But I think you're right, the agile values and principles uh, that stuff will be pretty timeless, I think. Okay, so next up, uh, here's kind of a fun question What do you get a Scrum Master for Christmas?
2: Box of index cards.
1: I think you've got a practical joke coming in some way or another. It's just not, you're just not having enough fun. Uh, fill their cubicle if you have cubicles up with popcorn, peanuts, or uh, something, you know, short sheet them, move their desk into a bathroom, something interesting.
2: So for a while, we were actually collecting our used index cards. Like once the sprint was over, we'd collect our index cards and throw them in a box. It'd be great to save up a year's supply of those and fill this cubicle with them.
1: Perfect.
0: Yeah, or if they have a sunroof, you could pour them in their car. That might be a little more fun. Mm <laughs> Uh so there's a tweet about they got someone got turned down for a scrum master role because they were too experienced. Uh is that something that uh, like how do you become too experienced as a scrum master?
2: I I think that uh, it sounds to me like what happened was they didn't want to hire him for some other reason and they were too much of a pussy to say what the real reason was, so they told him he was overqualified for the position.
0: They got the year 2 experience
2: right.
1: answer. Yeah, I, I think most companies that, that do that for a position what they're really saying is your salary range is beyond the scope of what we're willing to pay. Um therefore, you know, it's easier to say, you know, it's easier to say you're too qualified for us than it is to say you're too expensive for us. Um because one makes you sound good
0: and another one makes us sound cheap. Hmm. Yeah, I, I kind of wonder about I think some a lot of companies have a hard time defining exactly what the scrum master is supposed to do. So I would be pretty impressed if there was a company that had the Kind of formula so narrowed down they'd be able to tell if you were overqualified or not. Uh, so there's an article that kind of came out, and this tweet references it, but it's about the concept Have after some time has gone by, most of the kind of agile, quote unquote, projects are really a, uh, the author described them as water scrum fall. Uh, so there's some like kind of waterfall implementation of kind of requirements gathering and figuring out what it is then the work itself is kind of sort of done iteratively, uh, and then there's some kind of release process that's still kind of waterfall-y. What do you guys think of the Scrummer fall stuff? Is that real? Does that exist?
1: I think it depends on how you you really define it. I think in one respect, I think that most Scrum is mini waterfall in the sense of you're doing all of the cycles within an iteration, right? So you're only doing enough design, only doing enough architecture, only doing enough requirements definition at the beginning of a sprint planning meeting to last for a sprint. Um, So therefore could you say that because you do that every single time that these kind of I don't fall into a waterfall category. I, I think where the determination for me is, it the the actual process is a little bit different. You're not saying we're spending one day doing, you know, requirements definition. We're spending one day doing, you know, development design. One day doing development. One day doing testing. And one day doing releasing. And that's a sprint or something thereof. I, I think I think design and architecture and things evolve over time within a sprint. I don't think things are is set. Um, But I can certainly see how people say, you know, you're doing all these activities in a compressed time period, but in reality, you're still doing them sequentially. Meaning, you know, I don't think we could ever do Scrum where we say, hey, we're going to jump in and we're going to start testing before there's code, before there's actual the entire stack of the code. Um, But I definitely think we can not jump in and say, well, we don't even know what the story is, but we're writing code. I like that would be irresponsible.
2: I think the article that's linked as well mentions a second article that talks about um, that there's three types of scrum teams. Ones that don't practice scrum at all, just say that they do. Uh, ones that practice scrum to the book. And a third team that does scrum, but they make a lot of concessions uh, due to their corporate structure or whatever other factors in a place, like the traditional scrum butts. And the article, uh, the, the main article that we're talking about, suggests that the that approach of Doing strict Scrum, but then making the concessions where needed, might be the most pragmatic approach. So that might be uh, because it's the easiest to implement, and it's uh, it's you know it's less painful. But I think that looking at that as pragmatic might be a mistake because if you're doing that, you might be ignoring the problems within your organization that, that strict Scrum is trying to uncover, and that you're doing you're avoiding those problems in the name of pragmatism.
1: Yeah. So I, I definitely think it's it's the pragmatic approach in the sense of most bang for the buck, you know, right off the bat. The problem that you have is this is where I think we see the curves that say, you know, your implementation's going, whether you have a coach, don't have a coach, you know, your performance is going up, 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 up. And then it kind of plateaus, and then it'll drop back down, and then it'll plateau and drop up, and it never gets as high as that first initial piece. And I think that's because people do make all the concessions. It's kind of the race to implementation, i.e., you know, we're going to do shorter durations. We're going to do some things, but we're, we're, we're making a lot of trade-offs to mm-hmm. get that to happen. Um, and what they do is they never deal with the real problems. And so what happens is after the newness of this new process wears off, people fall even further back into the bad way of doing things and you know performance drops again and then it's okay let's get serious about scrum again or agile again or let's switch to kanban whatever the the motivator is and then you see an uptick again and until that kind of pain reaches and i think uh you know if they're going to be pragmatic about it when they get to the plateau stage they have to start to say okay now we're now we're going to start removing the butt parts we're going to start saying how do we get to to the real implementation and deal with what it exposes
0: uh, so the next tweet um, kind of goes towards some of the kind of Scrum versus Kanban stuff, but it says Scrum is a diet, Kanban is a mirror. Uh, so I think this is kind of getting at, you know, the Scrum sub, you know makes you or suggests that you make some changes to your process where Kanban's kind of more, let's visualize what you're already doing. Um, I think this is kind of an interesting anecdote. It's a, it's a great tweet because it's kind of uh, link-baity, you know, it gets people to, it's been retweeted a few times here, um, but I will say there's probably a lot of overweight people who have mirrors in their house but that doesn't seem to help much so i don't know what that says about this so
1: so there i I saw an excellent ted talk in the the last few days um that that talks about some mythology about a a sailor going through where the sirens are located and he wanted to hear the sirens but he didn't want to be lured in to the sirens so he asked the captain or the, the crew on the boat to actually tie him down to the mast of the the boat so that he couldn't Get out, and what what the the kind of theory there is that it's a commitment post, right? And so I think all the time in life we use commitment posts that say we're going to put something. If I'm losing weight, maybe I say I'm not going to let any junk food in the house. Um, maybe you know I say that I'm not going to go to these type of restaurants because I know that there's a weakness there, and so I'm going to commit myself to not. Being tempted by that. And so I I think that at times some of what we do in Scrum would be akin to that. I I don't know if a commitment post is necessarily a bad thing. I I, I think that if you rely on it long term, um, it's probably not uh, real healthy. But I I would posit how do you, uh, Amir doesn't tell you a whole lot um, in the weight aspect of, okay, maybe I see myself getting fatter, but if I have no clue on how to lose weight a mirror doesn't do shit for me. Um, whereas if I have guideposts that say like, hey, you know, here's some rules. Don't consume more than 1,200 calories a day. Don't you know, eat after, but, you know, whatever those commitment posts are. And I rely on them and I start to lose weight. Now maybe the mirror becomes a better tool for me to say, hey, I see myself bulging back up again. Now I know maybe I need to go back to those commitment posts. And so I think doing it the opposite way, is just a, a much longer, more painful um, way of doing things.
0: Yeah, I think I think this is kind of just a funny little anecdote that goes, you know, cuts both ways. But um, I can imagine lots of different ways that I could probably stand in front of the mirror and make myself look different. So, uh, you know, it's kind of all how you, you, you know, you still have to perceive it somehow. So, uh, so this is kind of open-ended question and it links to somewhere. But it's, the question is, when do you use agile methodologies uh, and techniques like Scrum? So, I think a lot of organizations, maybe kind of going back to the trends of 2011, a lot of them say we have a software project. And agile is going to make us go faster, so we're going to use that. But you know, what are some ways that maybe a better way we can think about when should I uh, apply some of these methodologies, and maybe when should I not?
2: That's a that's a tough one to give a blanket answer for. I think some examples. I think some examples of situations in which you can use a um, agile methodology like Scrum or Lean, but it becomes very difficult is when you get into areas where there are strict compliance regulations. Like if you're trying to do like uh, HEPA compliance or if you're trying to do, I don't know, any of the other like uh, FDA ones or anything like that. Like then it gets very difficult because a lot of times those compliance regulations require a lot of upfront documentation and you have to get that approved um, or they could potentially turn it down. And if you're doing that as you go, you might end up wasting a lot of investment money producing a product that gets turned down by the FDA when you could have caught that at the documentation stage.
1: For me, I would say that the Agile methodologies could be used anytime you've got a team of two or more people, um, meaning that they're really principles and values for how you work with other human beings. And so I think that's vital regardless of what type of work you're doing. As far as an implementation, i.e. scrum, or Kanban, or etc. I think that that's really going to depend on uh, what kind of product you're trying to deliver, what kind of project it is, and what what things are important for success in that. But I think the core methodologies apply to any kind of team. Uh, currently today, we're doing it inside of school districts. Uh, we're not doing Scrum, but we're applying a lot of the self-organization techniques um, and really even pushing it down to empower the students in the classroom uh, to do retrospectives with their teachers and get them more involved. So I think the principles go pretty much anywhere where you've got groups of people. Uh
0: so this next one's a, a good scrum question. It's actually kind of two things in, inside, but it says am I nuts to invest in specialization where I get the idea that scrum is a is generalizing the team. So two things. Uh does scrum is scrum really generalizing the team and then should you know assuming it is um should you invest in specializing in some certain thing?
2: So I, I personally of the opinion that a jack-of-all-trades is more valuable in the long term than a specialized individual. And I'm also the opinion that a specialized individual could be dangerous to your organization. If you got the one guy in there who knows how to do any particular task, let's say he's a DBA, or he's the only guy who knows how to do the build, that means that you now have a bottleneck. First off, your organization has to pass a hit by bus test. The guy could be a total dick, and you'd have to keep him around just because he's the only one who knows how to do that, or he could demand whatever salary um i think that ideally you have a team in which everybody's able to perform every task and it's okay that no one of them is able to do it as well as a specialist would be able to i think the trade off that you get there where you get a huge increase in flexibility is more than worth it
1: so for for me the big the big thing here is i've been around in technology long enough to see how fast it moves and and the people that were highly specialized um, you know, 10 years ago, maybe I'm a Java programmer or a, a Delphi programmer. I'm a client-side programmer. I'm demanding top dollar. I'm totally on top of event-driven window programming. Um, I'm, I'm the crap, right? And in two or three years, it switches to all web platforms. And web platforms now are pushing, you know, even, say, SQL databases away. So, I mean, the the problem is if your career is going to be 30 or 40 years long and you're in technology, you're going to have to relearn a specialization every three to eight years um, if you want to stay gainfully employed uh, doing interesting work. And so, to me, I think it's you know, be fairly general, but if there's something you like, maybe deep dive a little bit into it, but I wouldn't get so myopic as to be totally specialized.
0: Yeah, I don't think that there's anything wrong with having um, some people on a team that maybe know more about something or maybe more of a specialist, uh, you know, as long as there's some kind of overlap uh, and you stick to the idea that the team is cross-functional.
2: Right. I think ideally you get a bunch of team members who are passionate about different things and would take the time to go out and learn it. Like we got uh, Drew on our team who is extremely passionate about JavaScript and Clayton you are very passionate about testing and that ends up benefiting the team not because you guys create information silos and lynchpin yourself in but because you take every opportunity to teach us about the stuff that you guys know so that you're able to spread that knowledge
0: uh, so this next tweet <clears throat> it's a good one uh, it says I've never met a proponent of story points that hasn't ultimately described them as a proxy for time
1: this person's never met me.
0: So do tell, Derek. On to, to me, it's all about sizing, and I don't think
1: that really has to do with time. I think it much more has to do uh, with effort. I don't think it's a, a proxy of... Uh, you know, I, I guess at the end, you know, the goal is to take velocity and be able to say do predictions, and those predictions generally have to do with time, um, but I would not be a proponent of saying when I'm explaining what story points are to somebody that that we use those to translate to time, i.e., you know, I never say, well, three story points translates to X number of hours. Uh, you can make some assumptions about that and say based on prior performance, uh, we, we might guess that that's the case but to me it's really a a matter of you know what are they in relation to each other i.e. story points are only relevant to other story points not necessarily to time
2: i think i've seen some great examples of this in action where we estimated a project out of a specific number of points and we pulled in a story a bunch of stories that were relatively easy so they were like twos or threes and we worked on them throughout the week and realized that what the product owner had intended for those was way more complex than we thought So we felt that those threes and and twos and threes should have actually been fives and eights. But then the following week, we got into the fives and eights, and those ended up being twice as complex as we thought, too. So even though... Um, it was twice as hard as we thought, and we felt we should double the points. It was it was actually fairly accurate. It just shifted everything up because everything was twice as hard as we had originally right. thought.
1: Right, and I think I think it's the best the best way to explain it, Roy. And that is that if you're really doing things relative to each other, um, if you find out that it takes you a lot longer than you a three takes you a lot longer than you originally expected, you don't have to go back and reestimate everything if mm-hmm. your stories were actually relatively sized. It's going to come out in the wash and that you're be going to be able to recalculate your velocity based on the, the level of difficulty being different. And and I think that where people get hung up on is they try to say it's a, t- a time-based thing, but the whole reason you use points is because they're not time, so that when they do shift, you don't... You know, if we estimated everything as 10 hours and then we found out it really took 40 hours, we're going to have to go back and readjust all of our estimates. Whereas if we did it as a 3 and a 5 and we found out a 3 took 10 hours and maybe in our original velocity estimates it would have calculated out to, to 3... Three hours we don't have to go back and re-estimate everything we just have to adjust our velocity and that's going to
0: shift time I think we see this a lot because uh, the team will estimate something and you know using story points and then they somehow you know works itself into velocity and then everybody comes to that conclusion because ultimately they say well we did a 20 point iteration and it took us say you know our iterations two weeks so that means that 20 points equals two weeks and I think everybody consciously or subconsciously kind of makes that assessment And then the people that, um, you know, maybe kind of abuse the system, they want to try and extrapolate that out and say, okay, well, that means that, you know, when are you going to be done? That means that these, that many points takes that long. And, you know, this story estimate, you know, a five takes two days and a one takes half a day or whatever they want to do. It seems like everyone tries to go down that road, but I don't think that's the fault of story
2: points.
1: So going to our earlier conversation, if you have a mirror, you don't need to own a scale.
2: (laughs) So in the... In the past, we've had some discussions internal at the Integrum where we were talking about the idea of relative complexity versus relative time. And the example I think we used at the time was, you know, um, it takes me t- a few minutes to walk across the street. It takes me an hour to walk to work. But they are about equally complex. So when you're estimating those, would you rate those both the same points or would one be significantly more than the other?
1: No, they would be significantly more than the other because it's amount of effort.
2: So you, so you would say that it is a amount of relative effort as opposed to relative complexity.
1: Right. Well, it, I think it's a combination of those two
0: things. All right. Well, that does it for the Twitters for this time. So thank you, guys. Hi, this is Mark Rabin from leanblog.org. I'm looking forward to being a future guest on Scrumcast, but you can also listen to my podcast if you go to leanpodcast.org. I cover Lean from a pretty broad perspective, including... Manufacturing, healthcare, and startups and software. You can listen to podcasts that I've done with Eric Reese, um, with Brent Cooper, and Patrick Vlaskovitz on um, customer development. So you can find all of these on iTunes if you search for Lean Blog or go to leanpodcast.org.